step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Check in the what we Long talked about. Talk radio. You're about to hear a revolution in talk radio. Liberty Talk Radio, where the critical thinking will defrag your mind of propaganda-ridden viruses induced by mass media news programming. No BS here, just the facts. And now we present to you America's quintessential iconoclastic anomaly. Wow. In Talk Radio, your host, Joe Cristiano. Welcome, everyone, to Liberty Talk Radio, America's libertarian voice, broadcasting from our studio in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to around the world. I'm your host, Joe Cristiano, and this is your antidote to popular talk radio. Folks, it's time for us to take back control of our government, now before this bureaucratic, oversized, and self-serving federal government starves us of our property, our freedom, our rights, our liberty. But to do this, we must shed conventional thinking regarding our political structure. We need to be revolutionaries in thought, dissidents in action, only after we recognize what our government is doing to our freedom and our constitution will we start taking it back. And this program is just about that. Today, we're pleased and honored to have a returning guest, uh, economist Andy Sutton. Andy was formerly of the financial community, however, now involved for the sole purpose of blowing the whistle on corruption and helping people around the globe become their own advocates. Andy, welcome back to Liberty Talk Radio. Joke. It's great to have you. No, yeah, it's great to have you back on here. Yeah, I'm doing real good today. Can you can okay. tell? I'm running out of whistles, buddy. Okay. Well, you know, um, let me just tell you what's 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 starting to concern me. Um, I I have had conversations about pro-Trump, you know, people, and when I say pro-Trump, I mean blindly pro-Trump. I mean, you know, I think no matter what he does. It's, it's the right thing. And people have seemed to have lost so much of whatever was left of their critical thinking, if they had any to start off with. And it seems that they make excuses for everything he says and everything he does. And it really concerns me that we have a president who basically admits that he doesn't read anything. And he, he has never been a reader. So if you don't read, I don't know how you really truly learn by uh, reading people's uh, white papers from think tanks, for example, on issues and whatever. And he just seems to react almost like a person on the street would react, you know? It sounds bad, so you just attack it. Sounds good, and then you support it. Um, and, and, of course, I always seem to get in, winds up being an argument more than anything else when I'm trying to find a solution to this problem, a, a solution to the problems that this country faces. And Trump doesn't seem to be attacking the problems he seems to be it, – it's almost like having a rash, you know, and covering the rash with some cream and making it look good. But underneath is, is the problem, and he's addressing that because he doesn't want to be bothered with the details. Are, are you along those lines? Should I go see, like, a psychiatrist right after this program, or, or am I just misinformed? Well, see, here's the thing, and again, you know, this is – it's a deep issue. It's a convoluted issue. And it's something, this is a problem on, you know, our side of the fence, uh, meaning the people of the country were, I think it started, you know, from some of the research I've done after World War II, uh, people started to become very, they, they just kind of began being very trusting of the government. You know, and certainly governments have in history have earned the trust of people. Uh, so that's not the issue. It's not that, you know, this isn't a blanket statement that, oh, you shouldn't trust any government. That's not true. But people just started to blindly trust uh, governments. And I'm talking like the whole West, not so much the East, maybe a little less in Europe, but particularly here, Canada, England, places like that, Australia, in the mind, 
people just began to blindly trust the government. And whatever government said, well, that must be the truth. Well, see, now you're in a situation where, you know, economically at least, you know, things are not good. There's a lot of debt. Uh, the employment numbers aren't that good. Uh, there's, there's a lot of problems. And is it in the government's best interest to tell people about those problems? Or is it in the government's best interest to kind of obfuscate maybe, you know, paint with, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, pink-colored brush on the glasses, you know, that kind of stuff, the rose-colored glasses kind of approach, um, their best interest to tell the whole truth? And the answer is no, it's not. I mean, what you have here is basically the a microcosm of human greed. People get into power, and I, I truly believe that a lot of these guys that run for office, especially your state uh, and local level, they go in with the best of intentions. And then they find out if they want to get anything done, they have to start selling out. They have to make – everybody uses the word compromise. Compromise is just a nice word for selling out. So if your ideal is over here – and the person you're trying to get something from, their ideals over here, and you meet in the middle and you compromise, guess what? You both sold out That's a right. little bit. Right. And so this is so that is inherent in government now. They're not gonna tell you the whole story. They're not gonna tell you the whole truth. You know, it used to be, well, it's for your own good, especially economically. Well, you know, this is really too complicated to understand. And they, you know, you get, you know, these guys like Greenspan, Bernanke, whatever, they use big words and confuse people. And then people say, ah, heck with this. I, I don't care. Is the stock market going up? They can understand that. It, they're presented with very, very simple, tactile type information that, oh, a green arrow, that's good. Okay. Red arrow down. Eh, not so good. The bigger the number, the bigger, you know, the more good or the more bad it happens to be. Uh, that's our fault. Uh, it's mine as, you know, a student of all this uh, for not being more forceful in getting the word out to people and, and trying to, you know, put commentaries or whatever into a form where people can digest it. Uh, maybe I failed there. Maybe others have as well. Um, but it's the average person who understands, maybe they don't get the economics of it, but they understand this isn't right. Something's wrong here. How do we keep doing this and there never going to be any consequences? And I hear, I hear that from a lot of people that are just like, you know, guy on the street, girl on the street type folks, you know, hardworking people, you know, they care about their families, they care about the future for their children, but they're, they're stumped. They don't understand. They know something's wrong, but they're confused. So now you were talking about think tanks. Think tanks are a fantastic place to get information, especially if you read the right ones and you get behind the think tanks that are actually driving the policy changes that are being implemented by people like Donald Trump, Barack Obama, George Bush, Bill Clinton, and so on. Remember, these guys are only executing an agenda, a policy agenda that was given to them by those above them. The president's not at the top of the pile. You know, there's a whole, I mean, you got the G20. That's a, basically a, a regional, semi-global form of government. And then you have all these other groups, you know, associated. You know, there's the uh, OECD, you know, for example, uh, different things like that. You know, the buck doesn't stop with him. He's, he's, a, he's an executor, an executor of these agendas that come out from these think tanks. Now, the problem here, you want to read a good white paper, you're looking at about an inch and a half of paper. It's, they're long. They're boring. And you have to go, it's like the health care bill. If there was like maybe 10 or 20 really good nuggets in there that told us what direction healthcare was going to go. You had to read 2,700 pages to get those 10 or 20 nuggets. That's the problem. 
the average person doesn't have that kind of time, obviously. So I don't have that kind of time anymore. You know, it's very rare to find somebody. And, and I think to a certain extent, a lot of this is done on purpose just to keep, you know, people from really understanding the direction that things are going to go. I wouldn't call it a conspiracy because I don't, I don't really think it is. I think it's just convenient for them at this point. Um, but, but the think tanks, fantastic place. I found some excellent white papers that I wrote stories about, articles. You were kind enough to have me on the show to discuss the articles talking about bail-ins. Uh, this was back at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013. Uh, we, you and I, you know, we were very fortunate to be on kind of like the, you know, the tip of the spear as far as breaking all that information to the public was. The problem is people still don't really understand what it is. Right. Uh, but I will tell you one thing. The ones that own Bitcoin and had Bitcoins in Bitfinex, that exchange that got hacked a while back, now they know what a bail-in is. You know, and that's the thing. How do we learn? By experiencing. How do we get smart? By our failures, by our mistakes. So, you know, now those people understand, oh, maybe, you know, if they heard our show or read an article, you know, one of the many other articles that came out from other analysts after that, hey, all right, this is what those guys were talking about. Maybe I need to be a little bit more careful where I stash my capital. You know, so, but I think, you know, getting back to, you know, what Donald Trump does, I, I'm, not so, I'm not really as much interested in what he does as why. Yeah. What, what's going on behind the scenes? What other mitigating factors are taking shape here that are causing the people who craft this policy or this group of policies to want to do this. Yeah. How, who's, who's benefiting? That's always what you want to ask. You know, qui bono, who benefits? You always want to ask that question. So who's going to benefit? Why is this being done? And try to forget about the person that's doing it. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people have forgotten. People got mad at Obama because he was doing this, this, that, and the other thing. People get mad at Trump because he's doing this, this, that, and the other thing. And they made it about the person where I think is we need to take the person out of it. And we need to ask why. Right. Why is this being done? Why is it being done now? Yeah. Why wasn't this done 10 years ago? Why didn't we wait 10 years to do this? These yeah. kinds of questions I think are going to help us get to some answers a lot more than saying, well, well you know, Trump needs a new hairdo. And what's the deal with this? you know, over in North Korea or whatever. So that's just my take on, on all of that. It's hard to do, though, because these people are lightning rods. Yeah. You know, they, they have personalities. Some are abrasive. It depends on which side of the fence you happen to fall on. You know, if, if you were, a, you know, a Republican, then you'd probably find Obama offensive. If you're a Democrat, then you'd probably find Trump offensive. I find them all offensive. So I don't know what that makes me. Right. An yeah, American, no. maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I want I want things to take place. I want policies that are going to be sustainable, that are going to make sense for my daughter and future generations. I'd like to be able to get this thing to the point where we can leave this better than we found it. And the way it's going, that's not going to happen. That's what I'm interested in doing. Yeah. So that, that's, that's why I'm on this show. That's why I try to blog. I try to write when I can. Time's been very unkind, <laughs> if you will. Um, but that's, that's why, and I know that's why you're doing this too. That's right. why we get along. Because you're not in this to get rich. I'm not in it to get rich. I don't want anything from anybody. I just want to You mean you're not making millions of dollars by being on my program? No, unfortunately, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you do the wrong thing. <laughs> but you know, when I say think tank, I, I include people as yourself, your, your website that takes an issue and breaks it down without a republic, without a political undertone or, or bias. Just give, you know, like Sergeant Joe Friday used to say, ma'am, the facts, 
the facts. Just Only the facts. Just, just the facts, right. And, and this is what I'm looking for. Uh, for example, when uh, Jacob Hornberger from the Pre- Future Freedom Foundation, he'll take a subject and break it down. It'll be several pages long, but it's fascinating the thought process he uses. When you look at the several um, uh, uh, people who are um, uh, with the Foundation for Economic Education, the Cato Institute, these are the people, yeah. and as many as the, as, as well as the hundreds and maybe thousands of independents that are writing in, many of which have been on this program, when they say something, they back it up. And if you ask them, you say, well, I don't understand it. They can explain it to you. What yeah. bothers me is this. And, and in fact, last week uh, we had Jim Mascara on, and he, he was talking about the lack of Americans' ability to think. This is my big complaint. Uh, people say things, but they don't, they don't think. They, they, yeah. they just take it for, for for face value, and I was complaining that we've become zombies. Whatever people say, we accept, and that's the end of that. Um, you know, no one holds Trump's feet to the fire when he was running for office, and he says, we're going to have such fantastic, unbelievable, great um, relationships with, with Russia. You wouldn't believe it. It's, it's going to be great. We're going to be great trading partners. He gets into office, and he puts embargoes on them. I mean, uh, you know, it, you just right, drives, you, drives you nuts after a while. All right. So here, here's where we need, here's where we, in the thinking process, where we have to stop and say, all right, this is what was said. Maybe that's what people wanted to hear. Okay, right. whatever. Why the embargoes? Why now? Yeah. It's obvious that the people that are driving American foreign policy have absolutely no interest in good relations between us and, and, and the Russians. I almost said Soviet Union there for a minute. <laughs> it's, it's very it's very obvious though that these policymakers do not want us to have good relations with China. You know that's why you keep hearing about trade wars and things like that. So why why is this happening? Is it just to cause chaos? You know that's that's where you that's that's the rabbit hole yeah or the rabbit trail you have to follow. You know is this just to cause chaos? Uh, you know, is is there some kind of end game in place here? Are we looking to, you know, we know the dollar is shaky. Uh, so what are we doing? Are we trying to, you know, create a situation where it's advantageous and we can sell to the people the idea of cryptocurrency or replacing the dollar or any of this kind of stuff? Um, you know, we hear stories every week about energy. You take a look at the energy chart, and now we have not switched over to this total, you know, non-oil-based economy like a lot of people will have, have you believe. And oil-based economies, when they do well, they use more oil. Makes sense, right? Factories are running more. You're going to consume more of this stuff. Uh, people are driving around more. More fuel is getting used. You get, everybody, I think, understands that. You're not doing so well economically. You're not going to consume as much. We have never yet still, still, and it's 2008, nine years. It's been almost nine years since Lehman back in 08. That's right. When we, when we crashed, and we were in recession before that. Even the government admits that. 2007, I think, is when they, they called the recession, somewhere in there. So we were in recession even before Lehman. Those peak numbers for energy consumption before we went into recession, we've never gotten back to that level. We got kind of close once or twice here a little bit, and it was when it was when the government was doing a lot of that stimulus boosting, you know, kind of thing. That's fake because they didn't have the you know they didn't have the savings for that. They borrowed it. That doesn't count. You have to pay it back. <laughs> you know, that's like saying. Oh, uh, hey, Joe, I just got a brand-new Lamborghini out here. I own this Lamborghini now, and I'm going to write it on my books as an asset, and that's it. There's no liability for it. I put, I put On the other side of the ledger, I put the Lamborghini under owner's equity. You know, assets plus liabilities equals owner's equity, you know, that whole thing. Right. So it's an asset, and it's part of equity, but there's, there's no liability, but I have a $200,000 loan against it. Yeah. It's got to be paid back. So I can't, I can't say, well, I'm rich because I have a Lamborghini. No, I'm $200,000 in debt. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's what our country's been doing. And 
I think, and I don't know if it's that the people have necessarily taken the cue from the government on that, but it's been marketed obviously very well uh, by Madison Avenue. It's been sold very well by Wall Street and the other areas where there's big banking consortiums and credit card companies. And, you know, you have apps on your phone now where you can check your credit score every 13 seconds, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, we have become inculcated in this society where you're expected to carry debt. I still do some pro bono financial counseling, not investment. You know, I'm not allowed to do that anymore because I surrendered my ticket for that. Uh, but I can still do financial uh, consulting on a pro bono basis. And most of it's credit counseling. And I have these young people that will come to me and they will say, yeah, I, I need to get whatever, a piece of equipment for a business was one instance, a small business. It's just, it was a kid, basically, starting a small business, looking to buy a piece of equipment. You think he could get a loan? Now, he's looking to turn around and use that equipment to make money, right? to repay the loan, and then use it to make money for himself. So that's a good idea. You know, he couldn't get a loan. You know why? He has no credit. But he's got an apartment. He's paying a cell phone bill, paying an electric bill, paying a cable bill, paying, you know, a few other things. How's that not building credit? They have changed the whole system. See, I remember now, let me do a flashback quick. When I was in college, my first credit card was a GM card. It was a $250 limit. I didn't put anything on that card that I didn't have the cash to buy, and I paid it off whenever there was a balance. I got that card with no credit. You know, I had no bills. You know, I had no electric bill at that time. I was like 19. And so, I, you know, I didn't really, I didn't have any. I hadn't paid any student loans off yet because I was still accruing them. Uh, so I had no credit history. But they still gave me a card. Today, it is very difficult for these guys to get a card. And it doesn't make sense because you look at the reliance on debt of the economy and you'd think they'd be handing them out like they do at the colleges and all that kind of stuff. Right. It seems that, and this is based on a handful of examples. So I am not trying to make a stereotypical broad representation here, but it seems like if you want money for a good reason, you're not going to get it. If you want it to blow on some BS nonsense and crap, yeah, you can have, yeah, you can get a loan. You can get a credit card at 24%. (laughs) It's, It's all the whole pyramid thing. Everything's upside down. Our thinking is upside down, and it, it just didn't happen overnight. I mean, this has been taking place. I mean, you remember back in like the you know, 40s, the 50s. I mean, you could be into a bank for a mortgage, you know, for a farm. People lost farms in the depression, you know, because they were into banks for farm loans, that kind of thing. You know, basically the only debt instruments that were floating around, as far as the consumer was concerned, you know, was your mortgage. Well, then it became car payment. You know, it was the ability to borrow money buy vehicles. And then you had the entrance of the second breadwinner into the workforce because the dollar was continuing to lose value. This is why all this became necessary because of the dollar's continuous loss of value. You know, you look at a chart from 1913 and and look at the value today, it's worth like three and a half cents compared to what it was worth back in 1913. Uh, So the loss of value of the currency caused other measures to be taken so that people could maintain the same standard of living. So they sent, in a lot of cases, mom into the workforce. Uh, That was one way to kind of cope, if you will. And then in the 80s, you started to get what were called store cards. And they still have those. You know, it's good for one store. Right. Sears, they don't count anymore. They're pretty much bankrupt. But you get the idea. J.C. Penney, I'm sorry. They're bankrupt, too. They're going there quickly, closing stores like crazy. Uh, but you could get these store cards. And they were only good at that store, and there was a limit and all that stuff, and they'd send you a bill, and there was an interest rate. And after that, we had the advent of the credit card, which was good wherever 
that particular card happened to be accepted. And then you started seeing people rack balances on those. When I went to college, you went to a gas station, you had cash in your wallet. How many people pay for gas with cash today? It's almost non-existent. Almost non-existent. I will admit, I have a credit card. I will admit, I use it. I pay it off in full at the end of every month. If I don't have the cash to buy something on that card, I don't buy it. They give me rewards. You know, so I get like three or four hundred dollars a year from the bank for using their card and I'm not paying them a dime of interest. They call people like us, and I know you do the same thing. They call right. people like us deadbeats. <laughs> <laughs> Usually a deadbeat is somebody who doesn't pay their bill. <laughs> you know, you'd send Uncle you know, Uncle Uncle uh Cunha or whatever, Puto or whatever over to you know, beat somebody up, break their leg. <laughs> I almost said the name of a guy now. That probably wouldn't have gone over too well. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, they'd, they'd send Paulie over and, you know, he'd crack your knuckles and, you know, rub them together good and tight for you and then you'd pay your loan back. You know, but now, you know, guys like us are deadbeats. The whole thing is, has spun on its head. So when you get into foreign policy and, and looking at what's going on and why are we doing this in this country and why are we doing this in that country and, why is all this stuff going on? You know, the serious things. You, know, you and I have talked about that probably a dozen times. That one was pretty easy to figure out. And I told people, and you told people, the Russians are not going to leave Assad's side. It's not going to happen. Right. We are basically fighting a proxy war right now with the Russians, against the Russians, I should say, a war against Russia through Syria. Syria is the intermediary. They're the proxy. We got our guys in there. Russia has their guys in there. They're fighting each other. But the countries, the big countries, haven't declared war on each other. You look at North Korea. It's the same thing. One different player. It's us and China through the proxy of North Korea. I don't know if that guy's launching missiles or not. You only know what you see on the television, and you know what you can believe on the television, which is probably about next to nothing. So who knows? Maybe he's got a bunch of nukes. Maybe maybe the guy who couldn't even fire a cap gun. I don't know. What I want to know is why is this going on? Why is why why North Korea? Why the U.S. and China? China cuts us off. They take a 10% haircut in GDP. That's a hit. I mean, that's a rip. You know, 10% rip, that's a big deal. Is that death? No. What happens to us if China cuts us off? You walk into Walmart, Sam's Club, Costco, any of these stores, you know, Kmart, whatever. They're out of business too, sorry. Uh, <laughs> you walk into these places and you start picking up items made in China, made in China, if it's clothes, it's like Pakistan, Taiwan, Vietnam. Indonesia, Vietnam. Yeah, Vietnam's a big one uh, for clothing, garments, things like that. Uh, what happens to us? Those shelves go bare. Why do we want a trade war with China? You know, is that is, is that what somebody's looking for? Is that somebody's idea of creating an advantageous situation for themselves? So let's say, let's follow this thinking through. And maybe I'm wrong, but let's follow it through anyway. All right, to so say it's because they want to start a trade war with China, China cuts us off, the shelves go empty in stores or half empty or two-thirds empty or whatever, Americans can't buy the things they used to buy, and somebody else fills that void. I don't know. You know, something, something's got to fill that void. We'll create American jobs that way. See, that's the way we create American jobs. Well, but a, uh, okay. but a toothpaste will cost you ten dollars. That, that's another problem. Well, see, the thing is, I buy that, except for the fact is there's no infrastructure right to, to right. make this stuff. That's right. You know, if this was, you know, if we had built the factories, you know, if I could, if I could go back to my hometown and drive across the hill to hill bridge. <laughs> and see the smokestacks of Bethlehem Steel 
know, complete with their EPA required scrubbers and all that stuff, making steel again and cranking out ingots and doing that kind of stuff. And there was guys hustling back and forth like it used to be when I was in high school. We were building stuff and making things. You know what? Then I could see it. All right, that makes sense. Yeah, we rely on these guys too much. They're not in our best interest. We need to keep our people employed. So we're going to do, we're going to, you know, throw a, a tariff on something or a duty, you know, to make our products more competitive. That would make some sense. But right now we do that and it's like we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. Right. So why? Why do we want the trade war? That's what people need to be asking. I don't really have an answer. And they accept it that it's in somebody's best interest. Not right. yours, not mine, but somebody's. Mm. You know, and that's where that's where these white papers and these think tanks come into play. Yeah. Because you get a lot of your answers as to who benefits. And in whose best interest some of these things are when you read those materials. Yeah. And that's, that's where, that's kind of where the rubber hits the road. Because they, they really don't hide a lot of it. They, it's, it's in there. It's like I said, there was, you know, 10 or 20 good nuggets of information in that healthcare bill that kind of gave us a clue as to what direction things were going to go. You just had to sift through everything else to get to it. So it's, it's the same with all this other stuff. Why, when um, uh, when Trump, being a free market guy, you know, a, a, a businessman, when when he came into office, and why didn't he just ask Congress, present me with the exact same bill you presented to to President Obama, you know, which was to repeal Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, I'll sign it. And we'll return part of the lease. It'll be a start. And we'll, st- we'll return the medical industry back to the doctors and to the hospitals and to the medical community. And we'll start unraveling this government. It would have been so simple and logical and simple. And said, all, all I'm asking you to do, Congress, is do what you did two years ago. Just don't don't write don't change a dime don't change one word don't spend any money doing it just put it on my desk have someone deliver it i'll pay for the postage and i'll sign it and yet he didn't do that i i i don't understand that and he he says one thing and and it's not exactly what he's saying he's saying something else um he wants to have good relationships with russia but then there's embargoes on russia then he um uh, uh he it seems like every time he he signed several executive orders and people are saying, look at all the executive orders he signed doing away with all the regulation. I say, well, what regulation? What effect did it have? Um, how much should we say? No one has the answers. It's like these, he signs this book and shows it to everybody who can't see it. You know, I have no idea what they are. but But then he wants to spend an additional trillion dollars for um, infrastructure, and yet we are, you know, depending on which figures you use and whether you include, you know, the unfunded items, we're somewhere between 20-something trillion to a quarter of one quadrillion dollars in debt. Where's the trillion dollars coming from? But no one answers these questions. I, I, to me, I find it exasperating because it seems like no one's thinking through the process and it's not part of a movement moving us in the right direction. It just seems to be sound bites that sound that, that that appear to be doing good, but maybe doing bad. I don't know. Here and there, and then taking credit for it. I'm lost. I'm totally lost. I have no idea where we're going. Uh, in fact, I had a better idea where we're going with Obama. I know we we're going downhill. Now I have no idea where we're going, and I'm, I'm, that even frightens me even more. Well, and again, the health care, it was as easy as you said. Why wasn't it done? What they want, I believe, from reading, because I actually did have the time back then, and I read all 2,700 pages of the Affordable Care Act, and it was very clear to me after doing so that the eventual push is to basically have the entire healthcare system run by the government. Right. It's going to be done incrementally. Right. Each iteration of 
the bill, the policy, whatever you want to call it, is going to be a little bit more towards that side than the one before it. Right. That's that's the general direction that that whole situation is headed. So that's that's why there was no repeal, uh, because that's what you know the insurance companies wrote the the ACA. Uh, they wrote it the way they wrote it, I believe, as an incremental step. Uh, and people say, well, wait a second. If the government is running this whole thing, how, how are these guys going to make any money? Well, see, that's the thing. Is there'll still be insurance companies, even if the government runs the whole thing. It'll just be that, basically, if you need a doctor's appointment, it'll have to be approved by a bureaucrat somewhere. Uh, not an insurance bureaucrat, but a government bureaucrat. So you're going to see a massive spike in hiring. Uh, of government bureaucrats when they nationalize the healthcare system. Um, the insurance companies will basically be in place to handle billing, premium collection, uh, benefits, you know, that sort of thing. You know, there'll be plans, probably fewer than there are now. Um, the, the cost will be extravagant because, and see, here's the, here's, the, yeah. Let me let me stop there and make a real quick point, and then you can remind me where the heck I was. <laughs> I saw yesterday uh, a car had a, had a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker on it, and I was thinking, you know, okay, whatever. You know, I'm thinking about, you know, college is free, you know, going to be free, and all this other stuff. And you and I both know that's not true. Nothing's free ever. It, it might not cost the person who's receiving the benefit, but it costs somebody. So I got to thinking about this. Government is about the most inefficient way to go about implementing socialism that you could possibly ever come up with. If, you, if these guys really want to be socialists, what they should do of their own free will and volition, and this is America, so they can do it, is spend some time, money, whatever, locate people that are in need that have less than they do, that they feel that they need to bring to equal playing ground, and just write them checks. I'm serious. That's right, yeah. But they would never yeah. do that. They, they, you, they, they wouldn't give them a dime. No, they won't. That's, that's why they're hypocrites. Yeah. Most, most of them. So there, there are some that will. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a, you know, all or nothing thing. But that would be the most efficient way to do it. With the government, you're passing it through. The government has basically become, in this regard, like a charity. Right. And the government absorbs, you know, if you pump a dollar into a charity, there's a certain amount of that dollar that's going to get absorbed by the charity to run the charity. Yeah. You, know, you have to hire, you have to have a CEO, you have to have an office, you know, you have to have an office building, you have to have staff, computers, blah, blah, blah you know, trucks, whatever. So some of that dollar is getting sucked up by the charity. And depending on which charity is, most of the dollar gets sucked up. So in this regard, that's what the government is becoming. It's a charity. But it's not a charity because this is essentially being done, for lack of a better term, through the barrel of an economic gun. Right. You're going to do this whether you like it or not. And we're going to administrate this whole exchange of wealth, redistribution, whatever you want to call it. We're going to take from this group and give to that group. We're going to, we're going to manage all this. So how much inefficiency is there in that? That would be a fantastic study for the Congressional Budget, budget Office to engage yeah. in. Andy, we have a caller. Let's see. Uh, what's the area code? Uh, Area code 918, you're on the air. Your question or comment, please. Uh, hi, Joe. This is Lloyd. Hi, Lloyd. Uh, yeah, uh, I got a few comments uh, from what was earlier said. And is Sally there, by the way? Oh, no, she's not. Uh, she called. And oh, she well, called. I, I was going to kind of throw her a little bone for Trump, <laughs> by the way. But, but uh, anyway, I know it, it's easy to look at someone else's actions and be very critical of them but sometimes we have to look at our own selves and our own lives for instance uh we sometimes and and, and i've 
been there myself. I, I know, but I'm coming more and more to realize there's idealism and there's reality. And, for instance, uh, you don't believe in the Federal Reserve notes probably, do you? No, I do not. Do you use them? Uh, absolutely. I, yeah, I have no choice. Well, no, 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 you have a choice. You, you have oh, a yeah. choice, but you, 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 can, you, can, you, you probably believe in gold and silver as money, right? Yes. Uh, do you use that for money? No, Walmart won't take it. Uh, well, sure they would. You take, you take them a, a, 50 cent, a Kennedy 50-cent piece from 64, they'll take it. Oh, I know, sure. <laughs> you know, it'll cost me eight dollars, and they'll and they'll give me twenty five cents. Oh, 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 okay, so 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 your 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 idealism goes on the back burner, and you do what is reality. And You're correct. The same thing. You probably don't believe in the income tax either, do you? That is correct. I do not believe in the income tax. Uh, do you pay income tax? Unfortunately, yes. Okay. Uh, you probably don't believe in a lot of the government regulations on your business. Is that correct? That's correct. Do you follow those regulations? You bet I do. <laughs> I get closed down. <laughs> okay. So, so in, in each of, in each of these cases, you're you're choosing what you don't actually ideally believe in, That's because correct. it's the let. It's it's the lesser of two inevitable evils. That's correct. And I know people people say choosing the lesser of two evils is still evil, but they don't they don't think it through. In our everyday life, we choose the lesser of two evils in virtually everything we do. I may want to buy a loaf of bread, but not want to you know part with my money. But I choose the lesser of evils, so I choose to depart with my money to get the loaf of bread. That's the lesser of the two evils. Yeah, Lloyd, uh, hold on. I think Andy wants to make a comment on that. Hold on, please. Andy, you want to okay. make a comment? I, I'm curious if you've ever heard of Dr. Ed and his wife, Elaine Brown. Lloyd. Who? I, I, you're, you're a little bit muddled. Can you pronounce that a little bit better? Dr. Ed and Elaine Brown. I believe he was a dentist. Uh, anyway, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't ring a bell right now. Yeah, this is a guy that under under his own convictions uh, went to war with the IRS over the income tax, and basically said, if you can show me in the IRS code where I'm required to file a tax return, which also, by the way, violates the Fifth Amendment to you having the right to not incriminate yourself, because if you file a tax return and you get audited and taken to court over it, what are they going to use as their first exhibit? Your return. So it's unconstitutional right off the face of it. Well, this guy decided he was going to go to war with them over this. And I, and I, I tell you what, I have all the admiration in the world for this gentleman. And you know what his reward was? They forced him into his house and surrounded it with a SWAT team. If Joe doesn't follow the regulations of his business, they shut him down. If I go to work and have a job, I don't even have a choice on the income tax. The money is taken out of my check before I even see it. We have allowed this to get this far out of whack, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Unfortunately, what Joe is saying, I believe, is that he, he's living within the confines of the realities that we now have while trying to change them at the same time. I, I tell you what, I barter whenever possible. If I can get away from using Federal Reserve notes, I do it. If I can, if I can do barter or pay pay somebody in precious metals or something along those lines, I do it. And yeah, people might say, "Well, you're a whack job." Well, why should I work my butt off, work hard, hurt myself, and collect a piece of paper that, in and of itself, has no value, nothing? That's crazy. So if I can avoid that somehow, yeah, I do it. You're darn right. But there's not, I can't do that in every single situation. I wish I could. Maybe we'll get to a point again someday where we have the ability 
to make that choice. I mean, I see your point totally. And, and yes, we did. It was a long, slow compromise into where we're at right now, unfortunately. And whose fault is it? Yeah, we can all, every one of us, look in the mirror and say, yep, I partially allowed this to happen or I'm not working around it when it's possible for me to do so. That's all I had to comment about that. Yeah, well, see, that, yeah, uh, I've, I've also, I've followed some of the people that uh, try not paying the taxes and go to court. The problem is that the judges may even uh, uh, consciously side with you on one level, but they have oh, yeah. to uphold their integrity as being a judge on another level. And so they, they're, they're going to find against you in, in most of the cases. There's too many people that that was sitting in prison that tried to justify their noncompliance with the income tax. Died in prison. Died in prison at the age of 93. He had um, advanced cancer. He couldn't even walk. And when they transferred him to the um, uh, uh, hospital prison, if you will, um, they had him shackled to the, um, to the bed, bed. And the man was near death, couldn't walk, and they had him tied with chains to the bed as if he was a menace to society. And all he did was. Just yeah, he was real dangerous. Yeah, real dangerous. I mean, yeah, he, well, he couldn't was, even walk. Yeah, he was, he was you know? <laughs> and, and, and yet, uh, and all he did was um, he, he rejected the fact that the government had the right to take his money. And that's all he did. And he made a case. He went to court on it. And he went to jail basing, based on the fact that he went to court on it. And it's a terrible story. I mean, it's a, it, it's an interesting story, but it's a horrible outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm familiar with travesties of justice in the history of this country yeah. is what happened to him. Yeah. Well, uh, Lloyd, let me ask you about: uh, do, do you use cryptocurrencies? No, and I was going to ask Andy about that. I don't know how much more time we got, but uh, I was going to ask him a little about that because he'd mentioned it the last time. But yes, uh, I, I, I wanted. I, I wanted to go a little bit because I, I was hoping Sally would be there because I was going to throw her a couple of bones because you're very critical of Trump. You were never this critical of Obama. Uh, but, I never and, thought about Obama. I mean, uh, the only reason why I'm critical of Trump is because uh, I was hoping, you know, I was glad that he beat, beat Hillary. And I was I, because I was, you know, why? I, because I was I'm so disappointed in Trump. When with Obama, I was not disappointed in Obama because I knew exactly what to expect, and he did exactly what I expected him to do, so I never said anything. And, and not that I was a, an Obama fan and, a, and a, a Trump critic. It's just that I expected so much more from Trump, and he disappointed me exponentially more than, than Obama. That's the only reason. In other words, he started using Federal Reserve notes, paying the income tax, and following government regulations. Well, no, uh, I, I think what he, what he says, what he does is two different things, and that, that bothers me. I, I, I want people to be, in, and, and he's kind of bullish and stuff like that. I, I think he just represents the country very poorly, but that's another story. Let, let's talk about cryptocurrencies, Andy. Let's see if you can answer both my questions that I might have and, and Roy's questions on cryptocurrencies. I've, I've been hounded by friends who are involved in cryptocurrencies. They've so far made money. You know, they bought in at 500 and now it's 4,000. And, you know, and this is the best thing since sliced bread and they're going to retire wealthy and buy an island in the Pacific and all this other stuff. And, uh, and if I don't get in now, I'm a, I'm a fool and the whole bit. Uh, I don't own a cryptocurrency at all. I have none whatsoever. I have no intention of buying them. I do not understand them. I don't understand them at all. I mean, I understand them, but I understand the value in them. But maybe you can help me out. That was a very important point you just made. You don't understand the value. Um, if you don't understand the value of it, it's probably not a good idea to have it. And if you do understand the value system behind it, it's probably still not a good idea to have it. Uh, it's uh, totally intangible. Basically what it is, you know, to, to give a rundown for people who might be listening for the first time, is it's, totally, it's digital currency. The big selling point was that. Oh, what happened? 
Andy, you, you, we lost you. How did we lose Andy? I'm still showing his connection. Oh, okay. Yeah, you just came back again. You froze up for a second. Okay. No, I'm, yeah, I'm still showing his connection. Oh, okay. Very good. <laughs> Go ahead. Anyway, anyway the, you know, the big some point was, well, this will be, it'll be convenient, which was the first thing, which it probably is. I don't, I don't use them either. I don't own any of them. I don't advocate them. I don't suggest that anybody partake in them. Uh, ironically, in 2005, there was a book that was written. It was called Retire on the House, and it was written by an individual who believed that the housing market would go up forever and that you could retire by taking cash-out refinances every so often as you needed money. Uh, it was a ridiculous idea. It reminded me of the Dutch tulip uh, fiasco you know, several hundred years ago. Uh, cryptocurrency is very volatile. Uh, and here's the thing. It's not even really a separate currency because guess what? Everything you buy with it is valued into dollars or valued in dollars or euros or some other fiat currency. So it's just like having a bunch of euros and going and buying something in an American store and having to make a conversion based on whatever the value exchange value is of the euro that day. It's very similar uh, to these currencies in that regard. Another selling point is that there was supposed to be a fixed number of these things and that there was never going to be more of the money supply, so to speak, was never going to be changed. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm fairly sure that's been violated with at least some of it. There's a whole bunch of these things out there now. It's not just Bitcoin anymore. Well, there's over a 1,000 of them now. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. Just last week, they exceeded over a 1,000 cryptocurrencies. So there's your inflation, by the way, of, of of exactly, exactly. You just stole my point. <laughs> so, First time in my life I've been ahead of you, to, Andy. I'm proud of myself. I'm going to go right? out and get drunk tonight. You know? Well, I don't know if I go that far. I don't think much to get ahead of me. <laughs> but, yeah, that's exactly right. That's where the inflation has taken place and, and the, the, the evaluation. It is a speculative gamble, really. And, yeah, you can have your little digital wallet. And you remember, you know, what, months, two, three ago, you know, they had the ransomware. Uh, you know, these hackers took over infrastructure, uh, IT machinery, and, you know, demanded ransom in one of, those, one of the cryptocurrencies to, you know, basically let your machine go. And the bit came out that they were afraid to redeem the ransoms that they had collected because they were, they were afraid of getting busted that the anonymity wasn't there that they thought was there. Uh, so, you know, that's come into question. It's totally dependent on the internet. Totally. So if something, a natural thing, something happens to the internet in your area, you know, say, I don't know, lightning strikes, uh, you know, 401 North Broad Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the Northeast, loses, you know, a great deal of its Internet connectivity. If you're relying on that particular form of, uh, I don't even call it money, currency, uh, to, to do your financial business, you're not going to be doing much financial business. So, you know, there's a lot of issues with this stuff. I think it's worse than paper currency, actually, because at least paper currency you can hold it in your hand. You can safeguard it physically. Uh, it's not dependent on somebody's computer, uh, somebody's internet connection, uh, or any of this other stuff. You know, you just can't really hack paper currencies. Uh, you know, one of the one of the uh, cryptocurrency exchanges was hacked you know, a year or so ago, and the people that had cryptocurrency in that particular exchange. Uh, they got a haircut. They lost some of their money, their currency, to make up for that, uh, what the, the exchange lost. So they got a bail-in. They got like a Cypress-type bail-in. Um, so, like, if you have cash in your hand, you know, in a small credit union or something like that, you greatly reduce your chances of these kinds of things happening to you, and you still have accessibility to it because, there's a physical location you can walk into. Now, if there's a bank holiday, obviously, that all bets are off then. That, that's, that's kind of an extreme thing. But, you know, as a normal part of everyday business, 
I think it's a terrible idea. Uh, people are, I, I know there's a lot of people that are making a lot of money on it, and I also know there's just as many who have lost. You know, it's a zero-sum game. For every winner, there's an equal and opposite loser. You know, and that's what they don't tell you. You hear about these guys, oh, I made this much, I made that much, I made this much. You never hear about the losers. So it's a zero-sum game. It's like the stock market. Andy, we just had another caller. Another caller from 918. You're on the air. Your question or comment. And Lloyd, please stay on the line. Hello. Is he there? Was she there? Joe, Andy. Yes. Joe, Andy, how you doing? Fine. Hey, I, uh, I'm really enjoying the show today. I love the uh, the dialogue about cryptocurrency. I'm I'm messing around with it, and I kind of think uh, it's the problem with not understanding what it is. You know, every, uh, cryptocurrency is uh, valid just like – well, dollars are no more valid than any of the fiat currencies. It's a fiat currency, I think, just like – dollars are or anything else it's just using electronic transfer that's all your dollars using electronic transfer and your you know all of you guys go on to your website and see your bank accounts and you some of you pay off of that but it's backed by the banks and the government the way cryptocurrency is done and i hope i have a little time to explain this real quick because i didn't hear anything uh well maybe i should call back at another day but real quick let me share with you it's decentralized. It's not going through a bank or permission from a bank or permission from a government. It's from me to you. And the blockchain, which the cryptocurrencies run on, automatically do the confirmation. See, everything on the Internet has been built with client-server uh, type mentality. In other words, if you've got a Facebook, Facebook owns the big computers, and they can decide – which things get posted and how to maneuver all the posts to uh, submit to different people that you're on the line and you're, you said this and I'll give you a notice and all that. All Facebook, they control it. Okay. Well, that is client server based technology. This is a completely different based electronic medium that doesn't have just value of money, but it also can uh, confirm things because the blockchain was created to confirm things and uh, that it's a ledger technology. Okay, it confirms that this uh, transaction, whether f- financial or whatever, document or or whether or not your uh, malware is uh, working correctly or whatever, from me to you, and it doesn't have to go through uh, a third party. The interconnection of all the computers and miners throughout the uh, internet confirm that randomly each time a transaction is made, so that can't be hacked that part of it can't be hacked now one of those bank accounts like those wallets can yes well it it it, it, it can be hacked and uh i mean it's not easy the wallet can be hacked the biggest problem that i see with cryptocurrencies is that when we talk about it there's very little ways that you can truly confirm what a cryptocurrency the the, the, the spine if you will of the cryptocurrency that's the blockchain take- yeah, the blockchain. And, and um, un- unless you understand or were one of the originators of the blockchain, we really don't understand it as, as mere, mere mortals. But you know what we should do? Uh, we're running at it. We're about I'm running called, at it I'm call back next time. Yeah. You know what? We should do a program in the near future, maybe ending in a week or so. Would you mind? Yes, on back? cryptocurrency. I think that would be an excellent that's thing right, to do. Okay. They All laughed right. about the Internet, you know. There's Brian Gumble and Katie Couric back in, in 1994. Uh, we're on the air going, what is the Internet? Blah, blah. You know, they're acting like idiots. If you see the video of that, you'll laugh. No, I, I understand that. You know, uh, I, I watch car auctions because they tell me more about the economy than anything else. But, you know, uh, there was a Ferrari that wasn't particularly attractive. It was a 1975, I think, and it was one of very few, and it went for a paltry $49 million. That should tell you something about the scarcity of things. But <laughs> and, and where the Internet, you have an unlimited amount of cryptocurrencies, 
And so, but we'll continue that conversation. Yeah, um, I'd be glad to call back and and uh, back, okay. And what I, I'd love to call you back and talk about this because I think it's the most misunderstood um, development in money. And all we're doing instead of and you can get paper, by the way, you can get your cryptocurrency printed on paper. Okay, right. so and just the fact that you have paper name? currency don't mean anything. Right. What is your first name? Gary. Gary. Okay, Gary. I right. we'll have you back. Please call. All right. Sorry, I've run out of your time, but you you just touched a hot point with me, and I think a lot of people. So if you advertise this, you're going to get a lot of viewers. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Andy. We have about two minutes before we get dropped off. So let me give the last two minutes to yourself. <laughs> the value of money is determined by several factors. The most uh, prominent of which is scarcity. Right. Uh, the scarcity of money. You mentioned the inflation just by the number of cryptocurrencies. Um, that devalues the, the, the cryptocurrencies as a, as a group. Uh, individually, they may maintain their supply of uh, crypto coins. They may not. The problem is that there's not a lot of transparency. You don't have any way of knowing. And, again, I, I believe a lot of this is incremental, and it's a step towards having everybody use a cryptocurrency and it can be wiped out in a flash. Just, I mean, a bank account can too. So, I mean, he makes some good points. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not busting him down or anything like that. He makes some good points in that there are a lot of similarities between cryptocurrencies and fiat currencies. If you ask me, they're both junk. I'd rather go back to real money. Um, Having said that, you know, you're, you have a lot more liability with cryptocurrency because you can't walk in, at least not yet, you can't walk in with the paper certificates uh, that, that you can have uh, printed up for you into a lot of places and, and present them and, and exchange them for things of value. Uh, but what also makes money have value is the intrinsic value. A gold coin, it has intrinsic value. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, they're, they're desired, you know, money is taken the form of, you know, gems, precious stones, and all of these things, they have intrinsic value, they're scarce, uh, they need to be a store of wealth, uh, that's the third criteria of money, um, you know, they got to have that store of wealth, you know, the dollar is a terrible store of wealth, uh, and I'm sure Gary will agree with that, um, but the, you know, the whole crypto thing, I think you're just, basically jumping out of the frying pan with the dollars and the euros and, and so forth and into the fire because there's just, there's a lot of things that aren't known about it. And I've talked to computer experts about this. You know, we had that hacking thing a few months back and I got to talking to one of those guys about cryptos and he pointed out a lot of downside, which frankly a bunch of it was way over my head, but he kind of put it in layman's terms and it made good sense. And, it, and put it this way, the negative aspects of any of these things, whether it's stocks, bonds, uh, you know, fiat money, you know, electronic currency, crypto, you're never going to hear the bad side. You're going to hear the, the positive aspects of it. Because right. the people that use it are going to tout the positives because if they tout the negatives, then they're basically saying, well, I'm a dummy and I'm using this even though I know it's got, it's got drawbacks. And they'll lose uh, money because it'll, it'll devalue itself. Well, then there's that too. People hate admitting that they're wrong. Right. So, and this, you know, you always talk about that with politicians, you know, with politicians and whatnot. Why do they like this guy? Why don't they change because so-and-so didn't follow through? Well, because then they have to admit they're wrong. The right. same thing applies to any of these other things, right. too. So you got that in there. So there's a whole bunch of different things going on with cryptos. I think, you know, having a half-hour, 45-minute discussion just on that is a great idea and give me a chance to get some of the articles up and some, you know, events, things that have happened uh, just so that people have all the information, you know, let, let the other guys give their, their piece too. And then people can make an informed decision. Okay, great. We'll try to do that in about a week or so. Okay. And we'll give you a call. Okay. That sounds good. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on as always. Thank you so much, Andy, for being our guest. Great program. Appreciate it. Folks, this is the end of today's broadcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors for the financial support. We'd like to thank you for listening in. You can further the cause of liberty by recommending this program to your friends 
and let us hear from you. Our email addresses, comments at libertytalkradio.com. Remember to like us on Facebook and all that other stuff online to make sure and look for us on YouTube as well as our website. Until next time, this is Joe Cristiano. You're listening to Liberty Talk Radio. Stay well. Stay tuned. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.